Welcome to Whole and Unleashed, a podcast about coming home to ourselves, featuring conversations with special guests on topics related but not limited to burnout, mindset, fulfillment, transitions, wellness, and so much more. I'm your host, Jessica Locke, Astrala Yoga Guide and Holistic Wellness Coach. And this podcast is not about telling you what to do. I believe we all have the answers we need within. This podcast is here to inspire you, help you find clarity, and maybe give you an extra nudge towards living wholeheartedly. And of course, we'll be sharing tools and strategies from our guests to embrace your inner wisdom and live unleashed. Ready to dive in? Today's guest is someone I met in my ad days. His name is David Bastido, and he's a creative technologist, photographer, artist, and speaker. His personal story is about passion, and you'll be able to see throughout our chat, David is passionate about exploring and following his curiosities. Like he puts it, it's about having and following dreams, chasing ideas and creativity. It is about making and creating things, taking chances, pushing himself, and often failing, constantly questioning how he wants to live today, tomorrow, and throughout the next part of his life. His professional story is rooted in the world of digital communications. For over 20 years, David worked in advertising agencies. He's been an independent digital consult in various guises, developing online strategies and creating content for clients ranging from car companies to alcohol and marijuana producers, politicians and rock bands, just to name a few. As a photographer, he shoots still and moving images of people and things documentary, and events, with a particular fondness for working with musicians. He's worked with one Canadian band in particular called The Tragically Hip and documented them for almost 15 years, as well as their lead singer Gord Downey. The images he made of The Tragically Hip have been published in print and online by every major newspaper in Canada and many international papers. They've appeared in ad campaigns on band merchandise, movies, TV, magazine covers, books, and posters, and are available for purchase as fine art prints and licensed music collectibles. In today's episode, David shares about his unconventional path and the ups and downs that followed, why he refuses to specialize, seeing failure as an opportunity for growth, how he's never satisfied seeing it as a curse and blessing, his appreciation for street art, what photography means to him, especially working with musicians, the famous hug photo he took of Gord Downey and how that led him to meeting the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau a couple of years later. And David made a special gift for us. He recorded his 50th birthday reflection piece on audio just for this podcast. I'm adding this as our bonus episode. David, I am so grateful for you. Thank you for this beautiful gift. And let's dive in. I'm still yeah. learning, but uh, I think I'm That's I'm the enjoying. whole point though, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is the scariest point, but, you know, better done than perfect. This is what I'm learning right. to be better at. There's nothing yeah. perfect in life. I know. <laughs> so are you just doing this in yoga? What, what I'm doing other... this in yoga. I was, yeah. I'm still doing design. Yeah, oh, okay. Oh, nice. Um, but I'm looking that's to, good to know. pivot into design and do less, uh, do, less do less coaching. design. Yeah, do less design. Yeah, well. Yeah. 
I know. <laughs> so I that's why I'm like, it's good to know. But I still am open if there's a design project that's interesting and I feel like I have the space to do it, I'll take yeah. it. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't been doing much. I'm working on a couple projects, but I try not to do too much digital work. But you're always trying so many cool. It seems Oh, I'm always doing us. things. Yeah, you're always I, I mean, doing something. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying not to do so much digital work. I feel really, really red. Hold on, I gotta change yeah. these lights. Hold on. The, the, the hat totally works. Yeah, <laughs> it, keeps, <laughs> it keeps everything together. So you're at home, you're working out of your house? You're yeah, working at home. Nice. I've been working at home since um, I left Gravity. Oh, nice. And But I would go to cafes because I find myself being super productive. Just having that background noise where people uh, are doing something, that's okay. where I function best. At home, I, I find myself cleaning or doing this or like eating and then I'm like, okay, it's hard yeah. to work at home. Yeah, I see. I'm used to it. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. How has um has COVID changed the way you do anything? <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> uh, like work-wise? Life, everything. Well, oh, yeah. I mean, it's totally changed everybody's life. Um, like, a lot of my friends are in music with no jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of my friends, uh, I have friends that own multiple restaurants who have had to lay hundreds of people off. And I'm just like been working to build up a business for 20 years and kind of watching it disappear it's really sad um for older people i don't think covid's been particularly kind uh you know it's hard on my parents um hard on families but my day-to-day -day life like i work at home my wife works at home so it's kind of easy for us not to go out and then we were away for so long just on an island with uh, so nice. maybe 25 people who were all there like the on the island. So they didn't really leave the island. So it was pretty normal. We just stayed apart from each other. But I'd spent my summer gardening. And yeah, I saw that. A, I saw I you built a greenhouse. Your... Yeah. yeah. How is that going? Good. It's great. Uh, what is going on now? How, oh, the sun just came out behind me. That's what happened. That's why. It happens to me as well. I sometimes disappear in my videos. I'm like, it's fine. Yeah, it's <laughs> There's weird. audio. I'm not used to it. I forgot I can turn my lights up. If it if it doesn't go away, I'll turn my lights up. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to try it for a little bit? <laughs> I'm going to try it for a little bit. Okay. It's weird. I'm not normally up here, but my office is such a mess that I can't really... <laughs> You can show it on camera. <laughs> no, I'm not prepared to do that. You're not prepared when the time no. is ready. Yeah. Ready uh, but yeah, COVID's start? like, uh, it's a weird, you know, weird thing. I, I was quite uh, um, stressed at the beginning. Just the way my mind works, I go right to the, you know, the worst cases. Really? But I see you, I guess... I see you handling everything non-stressfully. I was fine. No, I was pretty stressed for the first while. Uh, I cracked a, a molar uh, in the middle oh. of the panda pandemic. I cracked uh, like a crown in, right in half. <sighs> um, and um, yeah, for the first couple of weeks, I was really stressed out. I quit smoking for like four months. And uh, it was it was weird. How's that, that going? 
<laughs> oh, I started. I started again, but yeah, it was it was fine. Um, and then yeah, before when people didn't really understand what was going on exactly, I think it was a lot more stressful than now. Yeah. Personally, uh, you know, I wash my hands. I go to the store, but I don't really do anything else. Yeah, same I haven't here. Been out, I, I haven't been out for dinner. I think uh, in. Well, since before the pan, the first wave, I haven't literally been to a restaurant. Yeah. Um, we cook a lot. So we're cooking a lot. I've been cooking all sorts of new things. Yeah. Are you experimenting in the kitchen? Always. Yeah. I've made like all sorts of things. I've made non Indian food, uh, bagels, English muffins. Uh, I'm supposed to make a cheesecake this week, bread, uh -huh. uh, just different things. The kitchen of Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I like I like cooking. That's we share good. we share chores. Yeah, I make the, and Megan's and then, also working And then at I've home. been I've been yeah, Megan's working at home. She's she's in film and she started in uh, back at work in September. Oh, does she have to go anywhere? No, she stays at home. That's but uh, her set is a Netflix series. They test three times a week, every mm -hmm. other day, so it's pretty safe. Uh, mm -hmm. and we have a friend on set working for Megan and yeah, she gets tested every two days. Her poor nose. <laughs> yeah. I think she's used to it, but you know, <laughs> Monday, Wednesday and Friday, she gets tested. Oh, wow. <laughs> she's That's, working. It's reassuring in a yeah. way. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, lots of walks, trying to mm -hmm. do different things with my parents. I took my dad on a picnic. Yeah, I see yeah, you, like, uh, taking photos of them and spending time with them. Yeah, so my dad's uh, in his, my both my parents are in their 80s, and my dad's health is deteriorating, so I've been trying to spend a lot of time with them mm -hmm. and just um, be there for them. So I was doing their shopping for a while, and I spent a month with them this summer, and my sister and I in particular try and do different stuff to keep them occupied. So we went for a yeah. walk this weekend, and you can do what you do. Yeah. Do what you can. It's nice that they have you and have someone to take them around. And I know. You know I'm going to be like an old miserable all alone when I'm old. Oh, don't say that. You've made so many friends around no. the world. You won't be alone. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Uh, what else have I been doing? I started making street art. I make, like, put signs up on the street. How did that always... come about? I've always wanted to do it and I yeah. just never had so I did it I started doing it so you just um, felt the pull to do it yeah well in my neighborhood I've discovered a couple of artists uh, who use um, street poles as their canvas for lack of a better word like these people who make sculptures I have no idea who they are but there's this one person in particular and they've done two sets of mass outdoor street sculpture works so if you were to walk on gerard street west on the north side of the street starting i used to think it started at river but i found a couple ones further east but around river street on the mm -hmm. north side of the street every second telephone pole approximately 
has these wooden sculptures on them. Are they every, tiny? No, they're like this this big. They're square. They're made out of plywood. Everyone's a different color. Everyone has a different, like he cut on this series. Uh, I shouldn't say it's a he, I have no idea. The person cut uh, matchbox cars in half and like embedded them in the wood. Yeah. And then there's an, another series uh, on Queen Street walking east on the mm -hmm. north side of the street that uh yeah they're these like multi-layered plywood works of art that have been there for uh 15 years or something and then there's there's an alleyway you have to they're all over the city these little works of art that people do but you have to be treasures you have to be observant and find them is what I've found. Like sometimes you walk by them a hundred times and then you're like, what? Yeah. Like there's this little sculpture on a telephone pole that um, I walk by and it took me a long time to find it. And it's like little gears and they're all nailed in individually to, to form like a face on a wooden pole. Like someone spent time doing it and thought about it. And then there's a bunch of people on Instagram. There's this one woman that I follow who embroiders um, sayings on pieces of cloth and then staples them to telephone poles. She doesn't live in Toronto, so but cool. and she does one every few days all over. And there's another person who leaves little hearts. There's a little collection of rocks on my street that people paint and leave in a pile in front of a house. I haven't done that yet. I have to paint. Are you off. planning to do one? Of course. Oh. But I like these little community spirited works of art that are motivated by nothing but joy and artistic uh, merit. Yeah. Not kind even merit. How... Like, like just passion. Kind like of how you live your life. Yeah, that's why I like them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't that partly what life is about? Not all of life, I, I suppose, but I mean, we all have one life to live. You might as well make the best of it. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I spend my time, yeah, exploring and playing and investigating and uh, trying to, I don't know if I'm trying to learn or find something. I'm always trying to find something. The search is never over, though. What do you think? I guess you're never satisfied in a sense where there's always more to explore. Never satisfied. It's a problem. My wife thinks it's a problem. <laughs> is, <laughs> that's why I, would, I don't want to like position it that way. But it's no, a, it's true. It's, a, it's like it's a, a thirst. It's a, it's a thirst or uh some might call it an emptiness some might call it a motivation some might call it um a problem i don't know <laughs> i don't know if it's good or bad but it it there's always something to find out about or explore or do or i mean you just have to open your mind and go, oh, I'll try this today if you really want to. Which is I mean, I've tried hard. so many. Yes <laughs> and no. You have to let go a little bit and you have to 
not be afraid of failing and you don't have to like everything yeah like there's no rule that says you have to like everything you try or that you're supposed to be good at everything you try um, was that something you learned early on that you don't have to like everything you try or you know you don't have to follow the rules whatever whoever made them uh i was set up by my parents to not be afraid of a lot of things and i was set up to i wasn't very good at school but i liked learning school mm -hmm. failed me but i didn't fail the learning part i don't think the curiosity and and i did a history degree and that kind of taught me at least to be interested in understanding things and learning how to research and making your own kind of decisions yeah. um and my mother worked from an early age so i was left on my own uh, my family my kids my siblings i should say yeah we were left on our to our own devices we had a nanny but uh my mother worked um as a stockbroker for 35 years so my mother was was an early sort of strong female yeah strong female lead strong female lead and um uh yeah i guess and my dad was sort of a bulldog <laughs> well my dad is a, actually a trial lawyer and so he was a i call him a bulldog in a silk suit very yeah. edu educated man and uh nothing i don't think anybody in my family did anything the normal way <laughs> uh, but yeah i kind of I, I started out thinking i should go their route and i guess when i was in my early 20s i started doing my securities course mm -hmm. and i got halfway through it through it and i said no fucking way i can't do this and uh yeah i never looked back what did you do like what were the i guess repercussions then uh i ended up um getting a job in film and television mm -hmm. out of university and then through that i got introduced to um kind of interesting uh, i worked on a show called kratz creatures which was a tv ontario interactive no sorry educational children's series and it was uh, a wildlife adventure series with uh, animation and they mm -hmm. got one of the first avid computer editing systems and to do the animation they had to buy uh, at the time it was an amiga computer um, and they didn't have anybody to who knew how yeah. to use it yeah <laughs> the amiga so i got to learn how to use it and uh i ended up with a friend of mine kind of just thinking about the internet and where it was all going and we ended up writing a 26 episode bible to an interactive educational children's television series about how things worked in uh i think it was 1996 and I ended up taking that to the Canadian Film Center and applying to a new program they had. I did a residency in new media at the Canadian Film Center back in uh, 1997. Wow. And from there, I got a 
job in advertising by accident. <laughs> How did that happen? Someone needed a um, a CD-ROM completed in Director, and I went down to do. I don't know how I got the call, but I got the call, and I went <laughs> and uh, I think I spent two days there, and it was for a guy who was. I uh, had a company called Think Interactive, which was a part of TBW Shy at Day. Um, and it was sort of like their first digital marketing company. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there for, uh, I think, two years two after years. that. And then I went to McLaren McCann. And then I started my own company mm-hmm. in 2000. And then, what were you doing? What was your own company? Uh, 10 plus one communications. I started with a guy named Sean Pucknell and there was another guy, a couple other guys and we did uh, flash games and animations and uh, interactive. We did the first large scale multi-user world. We did games for CBC kids. We did educational content for TV Ontario. We did stuff for the PC party of Ontario, sorry, I recall. Like we did yeah. a lot of a variety of things and started Flash in the Can, which Sean really did. And then uh, we split up after uh, maybe 2003 or something. The company split up and I went on my own. I kind of been on my own ever since with uh, exception of a few years at Gravity where I met you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here we are. Oh, so I wanted to share, I wanted to share a piece that I saw you posted earlier when you turned 50 sure. this year. <laughs> and it was such a beautiful, reflective piece. Oh, um, <laughs> thank you. I, I would love to I had link a look it. at it today because you, for me? I would love to link it to listeners, like oh, yeah, how, if yeah, you're yeah, comfortable with it. Of course. <laughs> but I'm going to read I'd even some read it. I can, I can give you an audio version of it, but... Uh, Are you willing to do that? That would be amazing. Yeah, that could be like a bonus part. (laughs) Okay, I'll start. I'm still inspired every day. I am still learning, exploring, dreaming, creating. There's always something to do, never enough time to do it all. I have learned many things, but there is still so much to learn that I do not know that I am interested in. I am enamored by this quest and following my curiosities and seeing what is behind each door what new questions, dreams, and inspirations are revealed. I chose my own path, and in doing so, I found love. I try not to be afraid to fail. I have learned that a little fear is good, that a little fear keeps you honest, keeps you healthy. Not failing, that is a matter of pride with me. Stubbornness, through failure, I have found success. Success feels good, figuring out something out. Creating something, doing something good, accomplishing a goal. I never really had a life goal, never had a real plan. I continued to stumble from one thing to another. After many things, I took a windy road, and I have found my path to be interesting and rewarding. Never dull. I am never bored. I've had many jobs, each with challenges, successes, and failures. I've worked hard. I've worked with the most incredible, smart, inspiring people. I refuse to specialize. I continue to follow my interests and passions continue to add to my skill set, to apply my diverse background, skills, curiosities, 
and experience two new problems to create and build and imagine new things. That's a part of the very, very beautiful reflection of turning mm. 50. <laughs> and oh, you've definitely you. lived your life this way. So when we met at Gravity a couple of years ago, I remember your curious nature. You were, you know, one of the partners and you were also like the go-to guy to fix everything and anything that <laughs> nobody, nobody were like, I guess had, nobody knew how to solve. They were like, David will figure it out. David is your, and you are, cause you, you played. I think that's why I really enjoyed working with you. Even for like silly shoots, you were playing. You're like, we're going to figure out how to flip the hula hoop into the flamingo. <laughs> but like, it was always this like no pressure to really prove anything other than well, we're going to figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Almost always figure it out. It's really, <laughs> yeah. it's time, time and energy really. And uh, will sometimes you don't have enough time sometimes you don't have enough energy and sometimes you don't have enough will without any one of those things you can't always complete the task <laughs> so with all the different hats you've worn before how did you get your how do you find yourself in them i know you shared a little you get bit lost all the time you get lost got, all the time. I got lost all the time. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm always searching. So it's sort of, you know, it's, it's part of the curse is you kind of, you get bored with one thing or you want to spend your time doing something else when you're supposed to do this thing. Yeah, but or, supposed by what standards? <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, I've been building a sculpture for three years. <laughs> I can't finish it. <laughs> really yeah. like um and you know like the street art i have a whole bunch of street art i want to do but it's yeah. priorities partly and time and i uh i don't like to work all the time anymore i worked a lot in the past and uh i'm kind of done with that so i like to play and i'll play just as hard as i used to work yeah. But uh, there's not really a huge amount of pressure to to do things like I used to do. How I mean, did there you is. used to do things? Well, when you're working for someone else, I guess it's different uh, priorities. Mm -hmm. Partly when you're working for yourself or on your own, you're not relying on someone else and you're the only one who can make or break it <laughs> right which i also like i mean i like being relying on myself often not all mm -hmm. the time i like working with people working with people is just uh sometimes more difficult yeah because you have to find the right people <laughs> yeah you have to compromise <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, everything's about compromise in the end of the relationships or whatever. So compromise is fine. But uh, I don't know how I used to work. I just, uh, I felt a pressure to work. I felt a pressure to, I guess, earn and be independent and, uh, you know, be, be something that I didn't really want to be, I guess. Like I, the ad agency, I've worked in it in the, the marketing world for 20 some odd years it's a grind it's it's not meant to um 
really great, nice people. It's not really a, an industry designed to make you feel good about yourself. It's not an industry that cares about your health, physically or mental. Um, you are always under the gun. They're always asking you for more, for less. I mean, kind of the economy is set up that way right now. Everybody's being asked to do more for less. Nobody really cares. So one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is people appreciate people more, you know, and, and people appreciate the local business more and the restaurant that they can't go to now and the, the things that people do that they never want to do, work in a grocery store or be a frontline worker or, you know, all these things that we rely on, you know, that, that are actually kind of important, more important than we thought. Uh, it kind of changes your perspective. So, I mean, partly what I have been fighting my entire life is, I guess, uh, you know, the perspective of being born here and with the family that I have and knowing that I've been privileged and, uh, you know, I'm male, I'm, I'm the, a white guy born to a parents who work and have money and you know that's it's different um uh, i can't take any of that away uh, and i appreciate it i've been trying to appreciate it i guess and sometimes more successfully than others and and i think you know as i get older i appreciate it more and appreciate uh how lucky we are as as individuals and as a community and as a society that we live where we do. And you know, I think it's important to participate in politics, not all, you know, in the course of one's life and to give back to the community. And if you have more than others, share. I mean, they're kind of basic tenants, but. Yeah, <laughs> basic human decency, which everyone should learn at school. Yeah, I don't think that it's, it's, uh, there's nothing revolutionary, but, you know, actually trying to do some of these things, even if you do them every now and then, makes you a better person. And I try and do them, not always successfully, but, you know, yeah, we do what we can. <laughs> That's all we can do, right? Try and we give can. back, yeah. Yeah. I remembered um, when we were working together, trying to figure stuff out, you just mentioned bypassing. You're like, because I'm like, David, David, you're so cool. You can do everything and anything. You're oh, like, uh, I was sort of like the black sheet of the family. I'm like, why? I guess it came with like choosing your own path. Uh, well, choosing my own path that way. I mean, my father was a lawyer who did a PhD and a law degree and then opened his law, his own practice. And he was in school till he was maybe 35. Um, I never wanted to do that. My mother had three kids and then, uh, went back to work, uh, almost at, uh, close to my age, a little bit younger than me, maybe 47 and worked for 35 years in a new career yeah totally reinvented herself as a businesswoman that's powerful stuff and i don't think people some people are meant to do one thing and some people aren't i'm not meant to do one thing <laughs> 
I would drive me nuts. I would be intolerable, (laughs) I think. You know, but some people have the patience for it. I have patience, but not for the same thing day in and day out. And uh, I like to be creative. So you have to find different ways to be creative. Creativity doesn't just drop in your lap. And creativity, I think, you have to kind of train yourself to be creative and you have how do you train yourself not like just by thinking about things and daydreaming and uh you know researching i mean even if it's a as simple as a color you have to look at a lot of colors to know what colors you like yeah i mean you can create a color and like it, but you don't know what other colors are out there. So without experience, it's really hard to um, compare and contrast, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I think a lot of us try to fit into the mold of what we're told, you know? Yes. And stay in this lane. (laughs) Yes, very much. And um, yeah, I never felt comfortable in the mold but people think that i'm weird often because i don't stay in the mold you know i have a friend he's like why are you always posting pictures of yourself what i think it takes a lot of courage to do what feels right for you and not yeah i hold back (laughs) you hold back really oh yes i am it's easier for me to hold back for my wife would think I was nuts if I didn't hold back at least something. <laughs> As an example, I had a, to go with that, that thing that you read. I had a really great, uh, I did a naked self-portrait of myself in the woods. On my oh, that birthday. is amazing. And I was going to post it and my wife asked me, she didn't tell me not to, but she asked me to reconsider it. <laughs> That's the balance, right? <laughs> I personally had no problems with it, but I re- reconsidered for on her behalf. <laughs> you know, so I'll I'll post it one day. I just won't yeah. post it that day. When the time feels right. I don't know. But yeah, you know. So, so I, I, your... I feel like I hold back. You feel like you hold back? Would, A little bit. Would you like to? I don't know. Hmm. I'm not really sure. A it's the way it start. is. <laughs> uh, maybe. It's the way it is. Yeah. No, I hold back less and less as I get older. I think that that's the thing, is that you feel more comfortable being yourself. But there's always a... There's a big gray area about... I like to live in the gray. I don't necessarily like to be black and white. Mm-hmm. So gray can be... As you know, gray is a wide-ranging and broad color spectrum. Yeah. In a way to keep yourself from being limited. Because it is daunting. And I feel a lot of people want to explore things, but there are so many fears imposed to them. And what it's like, even when I decided to quit advertising, I didn't last 20 years like you. I, I think I barely lasted five years in agency. And I was like, I'm done. I cannot. Oh, I it mean, doesn't feel right for me. It's not. It, it's not a, a great environment to be honest it's it's uh emotionally economically socio i mean it's not 
meant to make you happy. <laughs> the end result isn't happiness. I mean, I think people, the best people in marketing hate marketing because they understand the power and they understand um, the effectiveness of it. And that's, it's scary. I mean, it's look, a lot at what, of responsibility. look at what Trump has done and how he has communicated and, you know, look at historical figures and how they've used branding and marketing and imagery. So it's not all good. Yeah. And having the courage to walk away and still, but even when you were in advertising, you had a couple of projects on ago, you were doing, you were shooting concerts. Well, <laughs> Yeah, You're so managing I have this, a brand. I have, I have, you know, I always try things. So I, I've always taken pictures. I started taking pictures when I was in grade eight and I grew up with a dark room. My parents gave me a dark room and I spent my entire youth um, taking pictures in a, and developing them in a dark room at home. And then uh, digital came and there was this weird transformation between analog and digital. And so a lot of people gave up um, photography as a result. And I basically gave up for a long time because analog was analog and the quality of digital wasn't there and it was far too expensive. And I didn't, my wife gave me a digital camera, I think, for. Christmas maybe in 2000 a little I think it was maybe a four megapixel oh. Fuji camera like just a little tiny thing yeah. and that got me back into taking pictures and then uh, I had gotten a job with this band <laughs> called the tragically hip making a website and uh, I started taking pictures again and I've been taking pictures of bands uh, for 15 years, I guess now. And I work years. with, the, I think so. And I, uh, no, longer, because I worked with some bands before that. I worked with Hugh Dillon, who was my first um, music client, uh, 2003, so 17 years. And I've been taking um, pictures and videos and making web content. Um, throughout most of that time uh, for bands. How did you get involved in the music industry? <laughs> uh, I was always interested in music. It just through friends who were in the business and I was taking pictures and they needed websites. So it started with web and then it went into content because nobody was really making dynamic content at the time. It was all you know, a car website would be redone twice a year. Blogs didn't really exist. Social media didn't exist. We had forums. And, uh, you know, at the time, uh, Flash was just sort of starting. And, uh, yeah, it was just a different time. <laughs> but that's yeah. how I got started, websites. And then uh, taking pictures, and then uh, I met other people over time, and more pictures. I've been, uh, yeah, I've been all over the world taking pictures, to be honest. Yeah. What do you love the most about taking photos? Um, 
well, there's different kinds of photos. There's, there's, one of the things I do is documentary photography where I am a fly on the wall, where I am an observer, not a participant. And um, I like doing that a lot and it's gotten to me a lot of places and I've met a lot of people. And it's different than being a participant in a photograph. Being a participant, I'm, we might be standing across from each other. I might be holding my camera and I might ask you a question. Or I might tell you to smile. Uh, and then I might capture your smile after I've asked you to smile. Whereas the documentary style you kind of disappear. Your job is to allow everything to happen naturally and to be an observer. And I did that with the Tragically Hip uh, for, I guess, 13 years or something. And um, I loved, yeah, I loved it. I, I liked the music. I liked live shows i like people coming together the bands that i've worked with have been some of the best in the i mean i've really only worked with canadian musicians but they're some of the best most well-known canadian musicians ever and i got to watch them create and um be and i got to become friends with them and ask them questions and uh, watch and learn and uh, yeah I mean that's exciting I've done it with politicians I've done it with musicians um, I went to Thailand last year for uh, a year a month sorry uh, for work and we took pictures all throughout um, Chiang Mai the, the province we were in in the city uh, I went to, uh, and then content creation is a little different, uh, and I don't quite like content creation as much, um, because you're, it's more like marketing. I, I can do it. I like the artistic side of content more than the marketing side of content, but I, I can do it, but I like the creative i'm with you i'm with you <laughs> you know that's just me I, I i can do it for money but i prefer to, i prefer to do it for joy right and like i love being a fly on the wall to take photos too there's something magical about just letting go and capturing what's happening yeah now there's different like i will shoot a few weddings but weddings, I, I don't know if I really, I haven't decided if I enjoy them or not. You're still testing. I'm still testing. Yeah. Uh, I find weddings are a lot of pressure. Yes. And to be honest, I find any paid image kind of intense. Not taking them, per se, delivering them. Mm -hmm. There's an expectation that... I can't get over that someone would be disappointed <laughs> that I didn't do good enough, that I didn't do 
the best that I could that I could do better that it doesn't look good enough that it's out of focus here that technically I'm a failure I go through all of these emotions so Um, still even oh my god so many years oh every time so as an example I've just delivered a a a print I, I sell images to a framer that I sold and um it's the second image that i've sold of this particular print and the first image uh i really liked the first print and i sold it and the next printing i did something differently and it didn't look the same and i've been obsessing over this one print like I've lost money on the print because I think I've printed the second one probably 20 times, probably, um, to get a print that I was uh, confident enough to ask my wife if it looked okay. Uh, <laughs> really? And the two prints I showed her, she's like, they basically look the same. So I don't know. I I still don't know. It's at the framer now. I'm gonna deliver it next week, and I'm gonna I'm gonna f- feel uptight about it until weeks after Christmas. Thank you for admitting that, because I know a lot of people, especially in creative, I know photographers that take great photos, but the pressure they put on themselves, where you know you could just go for a walk and take a really great shot, and then the expectation is there for next time to do the same thing and it's yeah, such it's, a huge block no i also uh, that's the way i live my life i'm confident but i i'm always not confident and i always feel like i'm missing something or there's more so i i took some shots um recently of a band publicity photographs and i obsessed over them and um I noticed in the images that I think there's something wrong with my lens. And I think maybe the right side of my lens isn't as sharp in focus as the left side of my lens. Never noticed before. Don't even know. I have to test it. But something's off and I'm like obsessing about these and I'm like, oh my God, they're the worst. And I spent days making them. I delivered them. And then there's sort of like, I send them off. And then there's this silence. And I'm like, oh, my God, they hate them. They hate them. (laughs) And then I get this text (laughs) from one of the guys who was in in the image. And the text says... Uh, the text said, let me find it. Wow, I love every photo. You're a magician. <laughs> so How I've did it make you feel getting that? On one hand, I'm like, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and on the other hand, I was like, oh my God, thank you. I made it through another one. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my God, fake my way through that one. You know, 
still after all these years 20 years 15 years i'm still like oh and you're i mean and you've been pretty i guess in quotation successful in a sense that you know you are recognized for your photography and all of it but still still just it still makes me queasy yeah it's human i think and my prints like so a lot of people don't print their work I print, I print my work and I obsess over it and I find once you print your work as opposed to taking an image and throwing it up on Instagram or whatever, which is its own thing, but once you print your work and someone's paying for it and it's in a frame, it's different and you have to live with it. Like you're throwing it, you're putting it out there and you have to, you have to be okay with it. And that is, you know, you have to be okay showing your work to other people, whether you're a creative or advertising or, or whatever. And you have to, as soon as you do that, you open yourself up to failure. Ah, let's talk about failure. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, and what does that mean? And, and failure to whom and how, how do you like yeah. measure it, feel it? How do you cope with it? does failure like failure is different to everybody so you know how do you judge the success of your own output mm -hmm. <laughs> really at the end of the day and I, I it's challenging you know when other people are are you know everybody is not everybody but I have a partner and you know we all have different versions of what success is at different times in our lives and and how you measure and and um, deal with how that changes because it changes personally as well right part of it's economic and part of it's emotional and part of it's mental and and part of it's uh uh you know how other people accept your work or not i guess i don't know how i deal with it i don't know it's like everybody yeah. I one one day at a one one day at a time. Yeah, I should connect you to my husband because you know he does take really good photos, but sometimes he feels this immense pressure, and he notices things that I wouldn't notice. I'm probably like more like Megan, where I'm like, it looks great, but then he gets obsessive, and I'm like, but don't be like, you have to keep going. <laughs> yeah, but you you would obsess about something differently, something else. You would obsess about uh maybe a, a piece that you're working on you would obsess over i know you would don't pretend you wouldn't <laughs> i don't know i think i've gotten better i am no, like but I when do we have were working when we were when we were working together you wanted your work to be as good as you could do it yeah as good That's as it. i can control it and then how people see it that is not up to me like somebody yeah that's what it. i'm saying you have to let go of it at some point yeah. you have to let go but you have to be ready to let go and and that's an emotional journey and that's a, how do you know when you're ready to let go like how would you know when your sculpture project is ready oh well that one's a slightly different because it's it <laughs> i'll tell you about my sculpture i don't know when it's i'm on my like fifth prototype my sculpture is um you asked me how earlier you asked me about my street art yeah. and this is this is how it started i was walking down 
uh, Queen Street by my house one day uh, years ago, and there was a construction hoarding up in front of a store, and there's a streetcar stop here. So you, if you're waiting for the streetcar, you'd be standing in front of this construction hoarding. And I laughed to myself because I thought, oh, it would be fun to have like an interactive sculpture there that if you stood in front of this while waiting for the streetcar, it would do something. And then I'm like, oh, I could make a beating heart. And if you stood there, it would beat faster. And right at the apex of when you would have a heart attack, it would play a song and it would play I Can't Get Enough for Your Love Baby by Barry White. And that started a three-year journey of creating a beating heart, an interactive that's beating how heart. how it started. Yeah, this particular sculpture. And that's so I started making this beating heart uh, out of Arduino. And I learned how to cast resin and carve resin. And um, I've hooked it up to all sorts of different sensors, and none of them are quite right. I haven't got it to play music yet, but I've done all. I've hooked this beating heart up to a heartbeat monitor, so you can put your finger on it; it'll beat like your heart. Yeah. To a accelerometer, to uh, pressure sensors, to um, laser sensors. So when you walk in front of it, yeah. it'll do something. And now, see, I keep developing the idea. So now I want to do a, a bunch of these hearts. And I want to program each heart with a socioeconomic background. <laughs> so within the heart, it will have, it will be, it will have a gender identity. It will have uh, a socioeconomic background and based on where it is uh, from, it will have a different, um, a different life expectancy and different health ramifications. And I'm going to program uh, life expectancy and health defects into the heart <laughs> so that uh, it could basically replicate uh people born in different yeah and then yeah. it will have it will have sensors um that interact with the environment it is in and the sensors will interact with the uh, personality and socioeconomic traits so every heart would react slightly differently and um, then they'd all be in a room and every heart would be beating slightly differently and yeah a heart could die it could develop a different yeah. defect i want to um, scan your brain because this is like such an amazing like how do you go around thinking about all these things and connecting to well, that this is such that, a fun project that <laughs> one so i was doing the heart and i'm like people keep telling me i should look for funding and i'm like i don't know funding and I don't know how to get funding for anything. So I've never got funding for that kind of thing ever. And everything I know about funding, you always have to wrap it in some fucking hoity-toity little story, which I hate in, in the art world. I hate having to write or thinking about uh, my brain doesn't work like that. I don't do political artistic statements per se. I don't think about things that way. I just 
want to create. <laughs> it, it takes on part of my personality, whatever it is. But someone said that I could get funding for this idea. And so I started wrapping it. You know, I was trying to like project out and be someone else. I'm like, okay, if I turned it into this socioeconomic hoity-toity thing, maybe someone would give me fucking money for it. Yeah. And I, then I, I thought it was so. kind of fun. <laughs> so I started programming it and then uh, it got kind of complicated. But <laughs> I think I saw you share some photos where it was a heart with some light around it. Yeah, I, uh, yes, yeah, so I can show you, I can send you pictures, but yeah, it's, um, it's a heart, and then I've carved out a heart, and there's like a LED light behind this little beating heart, and then there's a LED lights that shine out, yeah. and then one version I have lights on the back, so it kind of, and I can change the colors of lights, and I can... Uh, program patterns and I can make the lights move and part of it's just been getting the uh, the heartbeat right and so I started looking at EKGs and I was trying to um, trying to model the heartbeat of a real EKG so I've like broken it down into little parts that are measured in microseconds almost and I can do it but it doesn't look very good. <laughs> so it's kind it's too fast. Like a heart beats really quickly. That's and, so fascinating. So what do you I'm, do with this extra knowledge? <laughs> apply it to so anyway, so I'm so I'm trying to decide whether I should program it so it beats like at the heart and then I actually know of a doctor who's trying to do a heart project. <laughs> And who's a friend of a friend of a friend who I know quite well. So I'm thinking of emailing the doctor, who is a creative guy. He's a filmmaker, and uh, he's been on black, uh, white coat, black art. You know, on CBC when they talk to doctors. Yeah, yeah. And um, and see if he wanted to do something. But I'm, I'm still trying to work it all out. And I haven't added the music yet. So, and then the challenge is to fit all the parts into the shell of the heart. Yeah. So um, I was making this heart and it used, the first thing I used uh, was like a, a infrared, it's like a little laser, but it's infrared and it would be used in a factory for counting things as they come off a conveyor. So it'd go. Yeah. And so that would, that's what you stood in front and in front of. And if you stood in front of it, then the heart beat faster. But it was really ugly. So I've tried about three or four different things. And they were all, all required external interfaces in terms of how they interacted with people. So it would be like the heart would be here and then there'd be this thing over here. And I was like, that's kind of lame. And if I put it in the heart, then I had to have a hole in the heart. And I've discovered um, radar. What is radar? Right, you know, like for airplanes in World War II, radar. Yeah. The, yeah. So <laughs> I can. They have these little radar chips, and I'm now um, testing radar because <laughs> it can. I'm hoping it will be able to detect people in front of it. Um, 
while it's inside the enclosure. So you won't even know it's there. So then if as soon as you walk into the room, they're in light bulbs and things. So if you're like walking and your light turns on, there are different ways to- It's because to, of the sensor. Yeah, different sensors that can trigger that kind of thing. So I'm looking for hidden sensors. And um, so I'm hoping it will be radar. And then I have a vibration sensor. So if you like turn the music up in your house and it starts to vibrate. Yeah. And then there's an accelerometer. So if you pick it up, it'll change color. And part of it is the notion of this heart is I want it to be tactile. And I want mm -hmm. ideally that you could pick it up and it would react and then you can put it on the wall and it'll rest but it has to look good and it all has to be self-contained and then there's power issues it's i kind of open a can of worms yeah you're doing all this by yourself it seems like something from the future a futuristic self-reflective well, you know piece. you get inspired by all sorts of things and i get inspired by weird things so there's this and i read all sorts of weird stuff i don't know and i read about this guy in uh seattle washington a few years ago and he um had created a boat okay with a um uh a little motor and a solar panel and gps and he put this boat he spent i think two years working on it and he put this boat into the ocean in seattle and then he watched it on his computer as it traveled to Hawaii. And then he got on a plane and he flew to Hawaii and he picked up his boat as it floated into the harbor. <laughs> and I was really? like, that is fucking cool. That is, wow. And, you know, we live in a time like no other time where we have so much information at our fingertips that if you're really interested in something, you can learn how to do it. And you can get in touch with people who will help you or, you know, YouTube or even if you're faking half of it, you can accomplish a lot. And it might not be, you know, worthy to, uh, you know, support life. <laughs> you know, you know, might not be making a heartbeat monitor machine that will summons, but it, you can do a lot very easily. And I think one of the things things aren't as complicated often as they seem to be <laughs> like yeah, that's factories. your life motto <laughs> well factories like producing a product sometimes you think it's so complicated and at the end of the day there's a thing and a box and a bag and you put the thing in the bag and you put it in a box and you put the label on and all of a sudden you have a product and it's like oh if you think about it that way okay the bag can look nicer and you can rearrange it in the thing in the bag someone wants but if you break it down into these little steps each step is manageable mm -hmm. and that's really like anything each step is manageable and and some steps you can trial and error you can take a picture five times at different apertures and look to see what it looks like you know you can and, and that's failure as well you fail four times to get one that you like if you've taken five pictures i guess but is it failure if it had to happen for you to get that well I, um, that's one it's part of perspective whether to get to move forward you have to 
shut things down. If that makes sense, like to get a good picture, for me, I have to make a choice usually between A and B. There's never just an A. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's just A, you've printed it or you've 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 edited it different ways and you have a choice between edit one, edit two, and edit three, black and white in color, or more saturation or less, or a little less shadow on the face or yeah. or anything. But at the at the end of the day, when you're making when you have these two things, you choose one, you're saying no to the other one. Kinda. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> it. <laughs> it is a hard process because especially never really when expressed you it that way before. <laughs> I'm always second guessing my my work. Always. I don't think I'll ever not second guess my work. But I think if you don't second guess, like I guess some people don't. They're just like, yeah, it's done. And yeah. then it's done. Gore Downey, the the singer of the Tragically Hip, I don't think he ever finished anything. I mean, he would change lyrics to songs he'd written years before all the time when he was singing them live. And he'd do it on purpose because he wasn't happy, he was trying new things out. And um, he tried lyrics out on stage before songs were written. Really? Which was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the middle of other songs, he he would... They, he used to call them, or they, the fans used to call them rants. And he would start on a rant about some free-form conscious something that he'd been thinking of or not, and uh, it, sometimes it would turn into a song years later. It almost as if it becomes a collective yeah. creation. Oh, no, for sure. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you have to test things out to see how you feel about them. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not really afraid of doing that either, and that's kind of failure, kind of not. And to your point, um, if it's part of the process, then it's not really failure. It's part of the process. It's, it's the journey, as they say. Yeah, it is. Totally I'm all the about. Journey. I'm about the journey. Yeah, in everything that you do and explore, I can even feel that energy from your photos and oh. your reflections and how you think about it. And it's just, you know, it, it's someone who's very present in the moment. I try and be present in the moment. I would say some people don't think I'm present all the time. And I think yeah, everybody chooses what moments maybe to be more present in. Yeah. And live music and photography, I go out of my way to, uh, I probably be more present because I enjoy it. And some of it's reactionary and some of, some of it is just being aware of your surroundings and being open to, um, I'm pretty open to new things and I'm pretty open to the wind changing my direction. Yeah. You follow the wind. <laughs> I'm open to it bringing something to me. Yeah. You I'm share not sure something. If I, I'm not sure if I quite follow the wind, but I'm open to it blowing around me and bringing in a leaf and grabbing the leaf and going, oh, that's yeah. cool. What did you mm -hmm. say? Sorry. 
I think I no, I was just taking what you were saying. Oh. I was like, yeah, that's kind of just for me, the way I interpret it's like, yeah, being just working with whatever comes in your way, not really controlling it and you can't control life. You can you can make preparations, but you can't control it. So even take photography. You have a big gig, you lay out the gear on a table the night before, you look at everything, you check it. You make sure you have everything. You still forget something, <laughs> yeah. or you might not. You might not have forgotten it. You might uh, have put it aside and go. Oh, I probably won't need that, right? All you can do is, or your lens that you got a. I don't know. I don't know. Even if I don't even know if I was imagining my lens, I'm, I'm still not. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> But you have to be able to take it on the chin. Life isn't easy, as my mother said. It wasn't ever supposed to be. And yeah. if you think life is going to be easy, then I think you're in for a bit of a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> One. I don't know. I wanted to talk about, you know, one of the photographs you took, the hug with Gord Downey. Mm. Tell me about that moment and what led you to meeting the prime minister later on. Oh, well, okay. So I, I worked in politics for many years and I volunteered with my local riding association provincially and federally. And at one point I was the communications director in my local riding association. And, and at that time you know, I live in the Toronto Danforth riding and it, the time Jack Layton was the sitting federal member for the NDP in my riding and then he passed away and as a result there was a by-election and it was um, the only by-election federally in Canada between Obama winning the presidency the first time and the next federal election in Canada which was uh maybe 2000 and I want to say 2008 or something but anyways um, when I worked on that election I um, maybe it was a bit later than that but I, I did communications and I did all the social media for the election and every MP that was in the liberals at the time came through and I met senators and MPs and everybody and one of the people that came through uh, was uh, Trudeau and so I spent a day hanging out with Trudeau and the candidate whose name was Grant Gordon at the time and I'd met him maybe once before no I hadn't met him before but I, I met him then and then um, fast forward to uh the hip he was a hip fan and i'd met him at concerts before just said hi or whatever and then um for the final concert in kingston the prime minister came and i'd been told that there was going to be a meeting between the prime minister and the band before the concert so i was waiting and hanging out in the hallway uh for the, the appointed time and about 
a couple minutes before the time, the prime, I got word that the prime minister was coming and he was going to arrive early. And uh, anyway, so I was there and we go into the room where everybody's meeting and I didn't have a very good angle because there was a documentary team and there was another photographer and all the RCMP people, the other photographer being a guy named Adam Scotty, who's the prime minister's photographer. And we kind of got into the room like this and we were on the wrong side of everything. And I kind of looked at him and I made the conscious decision to go out of the room. There were two doors. So I had to go out and then I came back in where everybody had just come in and I kind of went under everybody. And just as I come into the room and I, and I've like kind of, had to duck under everybody <laughs> because the room is really crowded and I hit a light and just as I hit a light it makes a noise the picture happens and I hit the light the RCMP guy looks at me and starts shaking his head they're going in for the hug and I go Ch -ch 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 -ch. <laughs> and that's, um, how you got that <laughs> that's how I got the picture and after I'd made this decision to leave the room and get another perspective and then uh after the prime minister left we kind of i looked at the shot and i showed the band manager and he said post it and so we posted it right before um the concert started and that picture uh yeah went all over um it went all over and then a few years later i participate in a um, it's called, uh, the, the, I think it's called the Holiday Basket Brigade, and it's a local organization that a friend of mine and a group of like-minded individuals started to, uh, address food scarcity, um, in our local neighborhood. So they create gift baskets of Christmas dinners. And every year, uh, for the last maybe three years, I've gone down and I've taken pictures to volunteer. And last year, I um, met our MP, who's a woman named uh, Julie De Bruzen, and she uh, is the Liberal MP for our riding. And uh, I asked her kind of I've I've know I've met her uh, numerous times and I've known her over the years and I asked her I said hey Julie so I have this thing and I was wondering if you could get me a, a meeting with the prime minister <laughs> <laughs> and she's kind of like what and I said that I had she knew of the picture but what she didn't know is that I had printed seven copies of that picture and I got Gord Downey to sign six of them before he passed away and I got him to address them to specific people one of them was the prime minister uh, one I have for the band and another was for me and one was for the Canadian archives and a couple other people who were close to us and I told her that I had these pictures and that Gordon signed them. And if was there any hope in hell 
that she could get me a meeting with the prime minister. Yeah. And she said, I'm going to make it happen. And maybe two weeks later, I got an email and it was like, uh, can you, you meet the prime minister after question period next Tuesday? In like, Ottawa, right? In Ottawa. I'm like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I told my wife, I'm like, what are you doing on Tuesday? <laughs> Cancel all like, your plans. <laughs> Do you want to go meet the prime minister? I got a meeting. Yeah. So I, I asked my MP if I could bring my wife. She said, yes. Yeah. So we drove to Ottawa with pictures in hand, went to question period, got a tour of uh, the House of Commons uh, from my MP. And then we went to the prime minister's two offices. So we went to his, um, he has an office right by the, the house of commons. And, um, we went to that office and had a meeting and got a hug, had the pictures <laughs> and, and that he has his photographer. Uh, so I got pictures of it and he signed, there was a slight incident where only, he was supposed to sign six and only five got signed. So one image, it's complicated. <laughs> it wasn't my fault, but yeah. something got messed up. <laughs> and one image I noticed after, so I left one image. So one image is a wall. But um, I have, hold on one sec. <laughs> Oh. That's from Gore. And then. Oh. Wow. That's, That's beautiful. just had it framed a little while ago and then sorry <laughs> that's okay it's kind yeah, of like a full circle moment with your hug at the I end know, right? <laughs> yeah. so, uh, and then I've been able to give a couple of them away so far to the right people that I, they were intended for and I'm kind of making my way <laughs> through that Maybe the and, last picture will be signed. You never know. I feel like you planted the seed years ago when you printed I feel it like and I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to get the picture back. It's weird. These things have a way of... Um, the universe is a funny place. So I'm not actually that worried that I will... That picture will find its way back to me somehow. I think it will. I, I I'm not sure will. how or when <laughs> or where, but I'm I'm pretty sure it will find its way back. Anyways, I uh, yeah, that picture uh, means a lot. It just kind of uh, summarized a lot of a lot of things. But yeah, that picture was just just the weirdest. Uh, circumstances when I decided to leave and then come back in and I hit this light and and uh, yeah it was just kind of crazy yeah in, in the you, you midst of know, madness you know when you're doing something like you don't really you know what you're trying to accomplish you don't necessarily 
know what the result will always be. Just follow that instinct. Yeah, you just kind of do your best. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What are some values that you live by? Oh. I try to be nice as much as possible. I try to be kind and caring. Family is important. Uh, I'm pretty pretty i think my values are, are pretty normal do good don't be bad be nice don't be not nice when you can like uh yeah i i don't think they're you know treat the world better than you left it i mean i i think that's as good as you can get be be better like do do things better than when you found it and everything will be all right if we all could leave things better than how we found them the world would be a much better place i'll be kind the world's too short especially the life is too short especially with the pandemic it just really puts into perspective how uh precarious and fragile the balance of the world is and you know realize that it's not a it's not a equal value proposition for everybody <laughs> and a lot of people have been screwed and if you're not one of those people then uh then your history is probably based on someone someone being screwed uh in in a, and i think you should be aware of that one should be aware of that really and i don't know that's beautiful. I don't think it's rocket science to be to to be good. I think I, that's what I think. But you I, do see that common sense is not very really common for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, my wife and I f argue over common sense and what is common sense, and everybody's common sense is slightly different. I have to. I have to agree. Like, but values good and evil are pretty intrinsic values that we should all know about. And if you choose to be evil, then you choose to be evil. You probably, not everybody, but most people know when they're doing something they shouldn't. Whether it's small or big, they know when they're going through a red light, they know when they're speeding, they, you know, people should slow down. You know, in the cities, it's just, it's, I drive slower now, I you know, just take, I take my time and enjoy life a lot more now than I ever did as, as a younger person, I would say. Well, this leads perfect for the next question I have for you. <laughs> um, what are some advice you can give, I guess, to someone who is struggling, someone who is trying to fit into a mold, knowing that the mold is not for them, but also trying to carve their own path, but terrified? Thank you you can't change the world in a day and you can't change yourself. You don't, a person doesn't change overnight and you have to, um, you pick your battles. Not every battle you should be faced on every day. Uh, you know, the world is a precarious place right now. And there are all sorts of reasons why you might choose not to change. You might, 
be afraid that you can't afford something or you know economics drive a, a huge number of decisions um so financial literacy is actually really important i would say and become financially literate about money and how it's made and how it's spent and how you keep it and how you don't waste it uh you know stupid things and, and i'm getting a little off topic but uh coffee i stopped more or less buying coffee years and years ago i don't know if you remember that i used to bring a thermos yeah yeah of a little bit of baileys in it sometime or your wife is the one oh, my wife baileys. my wife likes baileys <laughs> but if you add up the number like i drink a lot of coffee so i added up how much i was spending on coffee and if you spending 15 bucks a day on coffee or 20 bucks it fucking adds up right and you think about all that coffee and how much it costs when you buy it and so i bought a 75 dollars $75 thermos I got a nice thermos yeah. coffee was hot saved hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars and you know so my needs are are but sorry financial literacy is important mm -hmm. I would say um you know pick your battles everything can't happen and don't be afraid to fail and, and if you fail get right back up and try try again and nothing happens really that's successful on the on the first try and don't be afraid to fail like and, and depending on what you're after don't be afraid to hear no if someone doesn't like your idea don't be afraid when someone says your idea is not for me or uh, don't be afraid if they don't understand what you're trying to do because not everybody does and you have to be okay with that and you have to do it for yourself i would say because no one's going to do it for you yeah. your mother's not going to your parents aren't <laughs> going to do for you your sibling can't do it your best friend can't do it for you they can help you they can give you emotional support but they can't physically do it and and uh you kind of got to rely on yourself a little bit to get trust, yourself trust yourself I yeah think. <laughs> trust yourself and just like you got this talk to your i talk to myself all the time it's, it's important it's <laughs> i might not say it out loud but sometimes <laughs> i do you got this you got this i don't know and yeah fear is good it keeps you on your toes it keeps you alive it, it keeps you gets you up in the morning and you know <laughs> being afraid to, that you can't eat or being afraid that you can't live the way you want to live is motivation for a lot of people not everybody and then after you can live and feed yourself then you have different choices right you have to deal with the base requirements yeah your basic then, needs first <laughs> right survival survival you got to survive so you know if you want to leave your job maybe you can't leave your job because it's not the time but maybe it is and i don't know yeah. But I just <sighs> very wise words, David. Thank you. <laughs> I just uh, keep trucking one day at a time, and not every day is going to be perfect either. Yes, and that's okay. It's part of the process. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
<laughs> but it is to me it's the journey i really i've always enjoyed the journey and my journey has not been straight and uh yeah you don't always know what's around the, the corner so you kind of have to be open to it yeah. and be open to change and be open to learning and new skills and and new people some people aren't even open to like new friends they've got enough i don't know whatever it is i just find you have to be open to it and you find unexpectedness in unexpected places and, and people are, are beautiful people moments. are generally people are generally good yeah really yes. well, like you oh thank you i've got some rapid fire questions to oh okay <laughs> What's the best compliment you've ever received? Oh, I love you. A book that's changed your life. A book. <laughs> or a movie or no, anything no, 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 that comes no. in mind. <laughs> I've, 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 I... Lots of, um, I don't know if I have a book that changed my, my life. I've read a lot and I take a little bit from every book. I'm not kind of driven like that. Like there's nothing that one day someone will tell me that will change my life overnight. Not going to happen. But there are a lot of people who read this one book about quitting smoking and quit. So, <laughs> but that's not me. <laughs> uh, I have a really, really fantastic gardening book, and and I like that book. And and the joy of cooking. How about that? The joy of cooking. The joy of cooking. Yeah, you know, everything you ever need to know for cooking, as a base, is in the joy of cooking. <laughs> Changed my life. Add it. I'll add it. What does coming home mean to you? Coming home to yourself. Coming home to yourself. Uh, Maybe being comfortable in your own skin. What would you like more of? Everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's totally fine. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> Everything. Um, advice for your younger self? Uh, follow your dreams and um, do it for yourself. And finally, where can people find you? I'm everywhere. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a website, bestito.com, and I think on Instagram, I'm David underscore Bastido. And anything David Bastido will find me somewhere. Well, or Bastido. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Bastido.com is my website. Mm -hmm. And David underscore Bastido is my Instagram. I'll link it. I'll link it in the video as well Thank so people you. can find you. Any projects, offerings, things you want to, you're working on right now? No, life. Life? Yeah. Life. No. Um, I sell photographs. People want to look at my photographs, but uh, other than that, no, I'm just 
I'm happy. Just cruising. Thank you so much. I don't need to offer. I don't need to offer anything else. (laughs) If they want it, they are open to. (laughs) I'm open to you know so many things, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear from people, and and I've enjoyed our conversation, Jess. And this is quite lovely. It's been very nice to hang out with you and see you again. Thank you for sharing your story and your wisdom. (laughs) There were so many moments. I'm like, yes. That's so true. See, but it, these are the these are the parts where I'm like, oh my god, I'm rolling my eyes like someone calling me wise because I'm just like. It's inspiring, it's just, I think. I, it's I just, just that energy. I, I I get it. I just find I have trouble internalizing it. I get it. It's okay too. <laughs> Thank you for being you, David. You're most welcome. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Whole and Unleashed podcast. What was your takeaway from today's conversation? Let me know in the comments or review on iTunes. I would love to hear from you. Subscribe to get new episodes each week and visit wholeandunleashed.com for more information.